So as Keith said earlier, we are taking a break from our Ephesians series today uh, to have a guest speaker, um, Steve Bell, who I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, know, uh, our co-worship director here at St. Paul's and guy who has been around longer than I have here. Um, is going to bring us a message uh, based on his uh, own personal testimony. So let's welcome him up. Uh, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for having me speak today. Uh, you know, a few months back, Ryan said, hey, I'm looking for people to guest preach. Is that something you'd be willing to do? And I'm a fairly agreeable guy. And I said, yeah, sign me up. And about two weeks ago, I thought, oh, good heavens, what have I gotten myself into here? <laughs> um, but it's all good. Uh, I like stories. I like to hear stories from other people, where they've been, where they know they're going. Um, for close to 30 years, I was privileged to be part of a, a ministry band. We traveled between Maine and Pennsylvania. And in the early days, we did a lot of gigs in the prison community. We did a lot of gigs in the recovery community. And we did a lot of gigs in the motorcycle community. And in all those communities, we would hear these stories, these stories of great victory and great triumph over addiction, over homelessness, deliverance from witchcraft, deliverance from lives of crime. And it seemed like almost in the same breath, you would hear these horrific, tragic tales of, of just horrible life events, most of them brought on by poor judgment and bad decisions. But these people owned the difficulty, and they knew God was present, and they was walking through it with them. So I'm grateful to be here. I'm just going to tell a little of my own story today. I'm, it's not very dramatic. I'm not even sure it's interesting. Uh, but it's the only story I've got, so I'm going to go for it. Right before I came up, someone asked me if this was a shock collar. Uh, so if I go a little long, it might work as that purpose. Scriptures this morning, we have two. Uh, the first one is from 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, the Apostle Paul speaking, and he says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And from the book of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaking, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? Gracious God and heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here. We are grateful for this community. We're grateful for your presence in our lives and how you speak to us. So we ask today you would suit a word to each heart that we might go home either changed or full of the intention to change in your power. Thank you so much for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been on staff here formally for the last six years as a worship director, a position I now share with Leah Muller. It's been wonderful. Lori and I first started coming to St. Paul's maybe 18, 19 years ago, back when it was still meeting in the Alumni Center. Uh, we were at a church that was having a little upheaval, and we thought maybe it was time to look for somewhere else. Lori found St. Paul's online, and at that time, they had a Wednesday night service uh, with a meal. And so one day, she says, I'm not cooking. If you guys want to eat, you got to come to church with me. 
<laughs> so we came on that Wednesday night, and, and I looked around, and I walked around, and I said, there is no place for me here. And I was so wrong. <laughs> and I've never been happier to be so wrong about something. And the kids both said, can't we just come to church here? And so we came at St. Paul's and, and found a place in this community. I am a blood-bought, spirit-sought, saved by the blood of Jesus, Son of the Most High. That's my identity. That's my bedrock identity. I have other lesser identities, depending on my interests at the moment. But that's what undergirds everything about me. I was raised in a Christian home, born to Christian parents, the oldest of four. My parents loved and cared for me and still do. Uh, Lori and I are fortunate to have all our parents still with us. My folks belong to a small denomination called the Plymouth Brethren. Uh, some of you have some experience of the Brethren here today. Um, as a young person, you don't think much about it. Uh, and so Sunday was always taken up, it was the Lord's Day. We, uh, the closest fellowship, Brethren Fellowship, was 50 miles away. And so every Sunday, we piled in the car and we drove 50 miles. There was a one-hour-long Lord's Supper, communion service first. Um, there were no instruments. Women did not speak. The men would get up and give out a hymn or give out a scripture as the Spirit moved them. And we would sing that hymn to two or three tunes that fit the meter of that song. This was hour-long. It was a very somber affair. And then this was followed by the regular church service. My dad was an elder and often had meetings afterwards, so Sunday was pretty much eaten up with the church. You would get home, you'd have time to do your homework, and you were thrust back into school Monday morning. And as a young person, you don't think much about that. That's just the way it rolls. Our denomination had a, uh, an alliance with a campground in New Hampshire, and so every year, every summer, I was shipped off to camp, whether it was boys' camp or primary camp or teen camp for one or two weeks. I hated it. I just hated going. But looking back now, I'm sure my folks were overjoyed to have me out of the house for a week or two. I got bored very easily. I was always looking for something to do, and I'm sure the peace and quiet was worth whatever it cost to get me out of there. And in those camps, you know, as always, there would be a featured speaker for the week or for the two weeks, depending on. They would have a theme, and at the end of the, the, the session, uh, end of the week or two weeks, there would always be a closing program. There would be a campfire, maybe some special snacks, and... And there would be the final sermon, and there would always be an altar call. Because uh, that was really the thrust of this camp, was bringing young people to Christ. And so uh, they had the closing program. I'm, I'm a little cynical about it these days, because it can be very manipulative. But at the time, I heard the sermon. I heard the invitation to accept Christ in my life. Holy Spirit poked me in the shoulder and said, you need to get down there. And so I walked down front. I prayed to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, and that marked my formal conversion to the faith. And I was on fire. I was wired. I was yanked and cranked. Scripture tells us, he who wins souls is wise, and I was going to be a soul winner for Jesus. So I got back to school. I had the Jesus patches on my jean jacket, the Jesus book covers. Anyone who holds still long enough, I would tell about Jesus and how they need to get saved. I don't know that this was ever very effective. I only recall praying with one friend, and I suspect he just did it to shut me up. Um, but that was, uh, that was my experience at that point. But you, you know, many of you know, uh, when you come to faith, there's often this mountaintop experience. And over time, that fervor begins to fade. And the immediacy of your salvation fades a little bit. 
I grew unhappy. Uh, you know, the brethren were not a very good fit for me. Um, the, it was, I didn't go to school with any of the kids, and youth group was too far away, and so I didn't really find a place in this church. School was an absolute misery, misery for me. I was bright. I was articulate. I was creative. I hated sports, none of which wins you any friends in school. So even at school, I was kind of on my own. I was kind of on my own at church. My folks didn't really understand what I was getting at, and uh, I was kind of alone at home, too. And it was, uh, it was very discouraging. And what happened, uh, you didn't really question anything. You didn't challenge anything. You didn't ask reasons why. You were mostly made to feel guilty or ashamed of having questioned what your betters had already figured out for you. And so you couldn't really have a conversation about things, and I grew angry. I grew very angry. Uh, there didn't seem to be any sympathetic ear anywhere I could talk to. And I got angrier, and finally I just slid into depression. The best definition of depression I've ever heard is frozen rage. You just get so angry, you shut down. And so I just shut down. And in about ninth grade, when I was about 15, I discovered smoking weed, and my whole life changed. And so for the next 10 or so years, I just self-medicated myself into this fog that didn't take away my unhappiness, but it numbed me to the effects of it. I smoked on the way to school, I smoked after school, I smoked after dinner, I was high all the time. I even went out between the two church services and got high so I could sit through the rest of the day. And I just figured this would be the trajectory of my life. I would find some job I hated, I would buy weed in quantity because thrift is a virtue, you know. <laughs> And I would just make my glum existence moving forward. Now, the brethren were also, and a lot of fundamentalists, are very focused on the end times. Every new development was something of the Antichrist. Every headline in the newspaper was, this is the end times. And so we were told it was going to be awful and terrible, and these were terrible times. And as a young person, you think, so what is there really to look forward to here? You know, there's nothing up ahead. I'm unhappy. You're telling me I'm going to be unhappier. This just isn't working so well for me. I finished up uh, high school, and I headed off to college. I got accepted at a couple colleges, but I went to Gordon, Gordon College. Uh, Ryan went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary, the seminary down the street. I used to do all my studying at the seminary, but it was like a tomb in there. It was dead quiet. And it was awesome, except all the young seminarians kept trying to try out their witnessing techniques on me. <laughs> it was just hard to get anything done. I'd say, dude, I'm saved. God bless you. I'm just trying to write the paper here, okay? But I picked Gordon College not because of its majors or of its academic credentials. I picked Gordon College because the drinking age was 18 in Massachusetts at that time. I was going there to drink as much as I could. That's the time-honored method. You drown your sorrows. And I knew it wouldn't work, but I was going to give it a shot anyway. So I was at college, drinking too much, still getting high, still unhappy. Now I'm the oldest of four. And my brother Jonathan, two years younger than me, uh, we were both pretty serious partiers in high school, to the point where I was getting a little concerned about him. I thought he was getting out of control. But he finished up high school, and he went to Wheaton College, where a generation of bells have gone to Wheaton College. And while he was there, he cleaned up his life. He turned his life around. He came back to the Lord and recommitted his life. And he would write letters home telling his friends about this, that he's the good shepherd, he's the real deal. You need to take this seriously. And at the end of his sophomore year, 
he and five uh, other students were traveling home to New England. They came around a corner in Pennsylvania. There was a tractor trailer jackknifed across the road. And my brother and the young woman next to him died in that car crash. Forty years later, and it still knocks you over. So to an already unhappy life, now was added a deep and abiding grief that I didn't know how to process any better than I knew how to process anything else in my life. The following year, uh, Lori and I got married, and an occasion that has anchored my life more than I can express. We moved to Connecticut, and we both, both knew there was something missing in our life, and we knew it was God. We hadn't paid any attention. We just abandoned church. And so we began visiting local churches, seeing if we could find somewhere to fit in. And we met a, a young preacher named Phil Hackinson. He was articulate and literate, and his style of preaching appealed to us very much. And so we began attending the church he pastored. And we, we found a community to become part of. We were welcomed in, and for 22 years we were, we were part of that fellowship. Incidentally, uh, Phil moved to Nebraska to take a church, moved back to Connecticut to Manchester, became the pastor of Trinity Covenant Church, and was the pastor Ryan was raised under. Many of you know Phil, now retired, a wonderful man. So we were involved in the life of the church, and, uh, but I was still unhappy. I'm, I'm a man of routine, and I get into my routines, still getting high, still drinking too much. And one night I, I went out uh, to visit a childhood friend, and I had too much to drink. And I woke up the next morning hung over, and I sat up in a bed, and I said, I am so done with this. <laughs> and that was it, just like that. I stopped getting high, stopped getting drunk, no rehab, no counseling, nothing. God just took it away from me. It was, it was just gone. It's just like he said, you know, you're not doing so well with this. Let's just get this out of there for you. No credit to me whatsoever. It was no struggle at all. It just wasn't part of my life anymore. And after a couple weeks, months, for the fog to clear, I discovered what I call the joy of being alert. <laughs> I discovered there were all these awesome things to do. There were guitars to build. There were songs to write. There were motorcycles to ride. There was furniture to build. I used to dream of Queen Anne table legs, you know? <laughs> how do I get that shape? And you'd wake up and think, how am I going to get that dovetail joint just right in the drawer corner? There were just things, uh, because this is what I was created to do. I was created to build things. When I left college, I moved to Vermont and started building houses, and I thought, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm the first blue collar in my family for a couple of generations. You were just expected to get a desk job or something, but that's not where my gifting was. And as I became more alert and more interested, there's just all these things I wanted to get involved in, all these things I wanted to do. And that's kind of it. <laughs> you know, it's not very dramatic. You know, I hope it's a little bit interesting, but that's my story. It's the only one I've got. Now, I know when Ryan speaks, and he was taught in seminary, that you're supposed to have a big idea. Your sermon wants to have a big idea some people can grab hold of and take home. I don't know that that's really possible when you're just telling a story that you didn't create. But if there is anything I would like to leave with you today, there's a couple things. Um, one is, if you hear the call of God in your life and you're doing your best to ignore it because you just don't want to hear it, 
or it's not what you had planned for your life. Brothers and sisters, you cannot go down the wrong road with any integrity when you know where the right road is. You just can't. It's a bad deal. You just can't do it. You can't do it cheerfully or thinking it's going to make any difference when you can see the right road within eyesight. You just can't do it. The second thing I would want to leave uh, with you, I don't... I'm not nursing an eternal grudge against the Brethren Church. It was just a bad fit for me. It wasn't a good fit. And there were some very gracious people there. Um, but it was not a, a helpful experience for me. And I just want to say that there is somewhere for you to serve. There is a place for you in the kingdom. And this is not a pitch for St. Paul's membership. <laughs> you know, St. Paul's may not be a good fit for you. It won't fit everybody. No church fits everybody. But God has gifted and equipped all of us. And it, it's like they say, you can't steer a parked car. You gotta start moving. And if you begin moving in the direction to find a, a fellowship where you can serve at, God will direct you to where he wants you to be. I'm gonna finish up here with one last story and I hope I can tell this story well. Um, you know, I have a very vivid dream life. <laughs> Uh, I still remember the time I woke up petrified because Eric Clapton was going to be here leading this worship with me. <laughs> it, was a, it was an odd, twisted thrill, you know. <laughs> but I had a dream some years back. Uh, I don't remember the circumstances of the dream, but um, I was lost in this dream. Like, I didn't know where I was. I was, I was hiding become, behind some boulders. It was pitch black out, and I could hear footsteps approaching, and I was just petrified. You know that visceral effect dreams can have on you. Half of your mind is going, it's a dream, get over it. The other half is just fully involved in this dream, and I was terrified. And around the corner, when the footsteps stopped, around the corner came someone I knew and loved. And they said, there you are. I've been looking for you. And in that moment, I heard the voice of Jesus. No judgment, no scolding, no yelling at me, no telling me how disappointed he was. He just wanted, he wanted me. And brothers and sisters, there is a, uh, a chair at the table with your name on it. Jesus wants you to come to the party that he's prepared because it's a good deal and he loves you. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the people you've put in our lives. Thank you for what you've spared us from. Thank you for the circumstances you've given us. We thank you for this community. Thank you how you've blessed our lives time and again. We give you thanks for all things. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.